0: Okay, Bukha Tov. Today's daf is Babakama Tzadi he, Kama 95. We pick up two lines from the bottom, An Tzadi Dal and Bet, three words from the end of the line, Behashtar Dama Rav um, And we are dealing with the takana of Rebbe, Rebbe made a takana, that when a goslin or somebody who lends money with ribis comes to do tshuva, we are not, and to return the money that they stole or that the ill-gotten gains, we are supposed to refuse it in order to make it easier for them to do tshuva. That itself is a fascinating idea that somehow we're worried more about, you know, their soul and their repentance uh, than we are about justice. Um, um, but it is possible to understand that that is a concern for the betterment of society because we really don't want them to continue lending with ribos and to continue stealing. And maybe that was sort of the... Uh, you know, the, the trade-off that Rebbe made. Either way, that's the teaching that we are not supposed to accept it when they come to return. Um, but now we're going to qualify that. The Hashred Amar of Nachman, now that rav Nachman says, that actually Rebbe is only talking about a case when the stolen object is no longer around. But if the stolen object is still around, somebody stole my laptop and they want to do tshuva and he still has my laptop, then, um, you know, then that's uh, like a very... A, a blatant um, sense of um, injustice and of ownership is very explicit. Um, and in that case, uh, I am supposed to accept it back. Okay, so also maybe the thinking is, is that it, you know it's harder for asking him to liquidate his funds, um, and that's an obstacle to tshuva more than it is uh, more than returning the actual uh, stolen objects themselves. Maybe is less of an obstacle of Chuva. So one way or another, um, Rav, Rav Nachman says that Rebbe's Takana does not apply when the actual stolen object is still around that then you would accept it so <laughs> that Rebbe is only talking when the stolen object is not around <laughs> you can even say that both of these teachings that we had yesterday we had a seeming contradiction you know of brightos about whether you accept the money back or not so now we have a way to reconcile them one way we reconciled them was one was before Rebbe's Takana you would accept it and one was after Rebbe's Takana you would not accept it but now we can actually say they both are after Rebbe Sarkana, but it still matters the circumstances. There's a difference between whether it's around or not around. The the teaching of Rebbe that you would accept the object, you would not accept the object back is when the original object was not around. And the teaching of the Braitha that you would accept the object back was when the object, you know, or the money back or the object back is when the original um, object was around. Okay, But now Gemara says, wait a minute, does that Really work in Rebbe's takana. But the whole story about why Rebbe made a takana is because when somebody wanted to, you know, return the money and do tshuva, his wife said, you know, if you start doing tshuva and returning all, everything you stole, you won't even be able to keep your own belt. You'll have to go naked. You'll have to return everything. So it sounds like the belt was the stolen object that was still around. And Rebbe's takana is it does not have to be returned. So the Gemara says, no. My avnate to me doesn't literally mean that the belt itself was stolen, it means, you know, the cost of the belt, meaning you're going to have to sell all of our property and liquidate all of our property in order to get the money to pay back everybody. But it does not mean that we're dealing that the actual stolen item is still around. And if the stolen item is still around, then Rebbe might, you know, the argument is that in that case, Rebbe said you would receive, take the item back if he came to return it. Okay. Vaharei Meirish, the says one minute. We have another perfect, great classic example of a takana sashavim, a takana that's made to make it easier for people to do tshuva, and that's a case where the actual stolen object is still around. The case is Meirish. It's like a beam, um, that you, somebody built into their roof. And there we say that you don't, because of a takana, they don't have to go ahead and destroy their roof and return the beam. So that's a case, though, that the gzela is actually around. That the stolen object is actually around. That there was a takana made for the, a stolen beam that was built into a uh, house, into a castle. That the owner can just take the money for it but not the object itself. Be made For the sake of So there you see the object was around and we did not demand that the object goes back. So the Gemara Gemara says, no. There it's different. There, it would actually not just cause giving back the object itself, but destroying the whole house, destroying the whole roof. So, you know, the normal principle is when the object is around, you return it. But if that would cause tremendous additional loss, not just the Lost of the object, then that would also be covered by the Takana Sarshavim. And therefore, you would not have to return it. Which, by the way, also explains why you're paying for its value. Because Rebbe's Takana Sarshavim that we've been dealing with is the Goslin doesn't pay anybody back, which is pretty shocking. You know, in order to get him to he doesn't have to make any compensation. Okay, this Meirish, though, he is making compensation for the case of the beam. Why? Because since the Zela is around, he should be returning it, even with Rebbe's Takana. we don't demand it because it would mean destroying the home but because he should be returning it he is going to pay for its value Okay, so that's the end of the discussion of Rabbi Stakana. Guzal Mubers Vialda. Okay, now we're going on to the next part of the Mishnah, which speaks about somebody who stole a pregnant cow and gave birth, or a sheep ready to be sheared and sheared it. And in that case, it says that you know you return the object as it is to the owner. You know the sheared sheep plus the difference plus you know the, how much the sheep was worth when it was stolen because it had all of that wool on its body. Okay, which is not which is less then the current state of the sheep plus the shearings, right? That's now you've actually realized those gains and you've put in the effort and the labor, okay? But so you would not have to pay, give back the shearings and your cone of the shearings with a shinoi, but you did steal the sheep with the wool on it so you pay for that difference. Okay, Tanarabana, okay. we taught in the, so the that is a debate of the Tanayim. Hagoza racha Vigiza, Somebody stole a sheep and sheared it. Para Yaldo or a cow and it gave birth. You pay it back together with the shearings and with the new calf, you know, in the case of the cow. That's what Rabbi Meir says. Rabbi Meir says you actually give it all back, even though it went underwent a shinoi. Um, no you give it back the you know you don't give back the uh the, the shearings or you know the, the the calf you give back the stolen object as it is right now, the sheared sheep and the um, non pregnant cow, and as Rashi says, obviously plus the difference of how much more it was worth when you stole it okay, which is the teaching of our Mishnah. No, Rabbi Shimon says you assess the value um, at at the moment it was stolen, and that's what you pay back. So that sounds pretty similar to uh, Rabbi Yehuda. So we're going to deal with the difference between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon tomorrow, but today we're just going to focus on the position of Rabbi Meir, okay? So, um... Uh, so the, the question was raised. My time at Rebbe Meir, what's the reason of Rebbe Meir that says you have to give the original owner back the shearings and the calf? Um, does Rebbe Meir hold that Shinoi stands in its place? We don't recognize Shinoi, and therefore the owner is not, the, the Gazan is not Kona it, so it all still belongs to the owner, so it all goes back to the owner. Okay, that was a position we saw yesterday. Um, Oh, omo or maybe, but i a Shino Ikona. Really, normally his principle is Shino, you would be Kona, and really you should own, you the goslin should own the shearings and the calf. But he's making a knas. he's making a fine, a monetary penalty. You stole from this guy, even though technically you own the shearings and you own the calf. We're not going to let you keep it, and we're going to demand that you give it back to the owner. Okay. The main You know, the says, what practical difference would it mean make if it's a fine, or if it's fundamentally you don't own it? Lecha dekachish If if this guy stole it and actually became worth less, okay, not worth more, um, and therefore, if you say that um, that shinoi is kone, then in. Type of a case, consider that it got worse in a way that actually the object itself underwent a shinui, you know, the cow or whatever underwent a shinui, and, and, and then you would now own the cow and own the sheep um, because Shinoi is Kona, and you would pay the difference in terms of from the time that you stole it. Whereas if that's if we would say fundamentally Shinoi is Kona, and it was just a Knas. Well, here there's no Knas, here it's actually worth less. So you're stuck with the object and you pay what it was worth at the time that you stole it. If however we say is not seen as having, having taken place, it's not meaningful at all, then you basically would just give it back to the owner and say, here's the object I stole, okay, and you wouldn't, and the fact that it's now different and worse would not be something you would have to pay for. So that would be the naf Okay, so let's take a look. Um, tarshma, come in here, so we're going to actually look at a case where the object got worth, became worth less. Gezel behim, gezel behim avizkina, avizkino. You stole an animal and it became old, and a slaves, and they got old. Okay, so now they're worth a lot less and that's, you know, that's some type of a shinoi and they're worth a lot less. Okay. Mishalem kishas ha'kzeila. The Tanakhama says, you pay like when you stole it. You were kona them with a shinoi and therefore you figure out how much it was when you stole it and that's what you pay. Rebbe Meir, um, Rabbi Meir says, By slaves... You say, why? Because the principle is that karka ain't an ikzelis, that land is not stolen. So no kinyan ikzela work by land. And therefore, by um, and and slaves are often, we say, hukash le karkos. actually whole sugyas, whether slaves are like karka, like, like land, or like matatolim, like shadow. So we may are saying slaves are like land, and therefore the shinoi is not meaningful. You're not kona the slave, even though he got old. So the slave, you return, it, it's, belongs to the owner, and if it got worse, got worse under the owner's control and property. It's not, you don't have to pay for it. But by the animal, the behemoth, that actually you would be it, and that I agree to the Tanakama, you pay like the original cost when you stole it. So Rebbe Mayer is basically agreeing fundamentally that shunai is konet and you pay like when you stole it. Um, he's only saying that when it comes to the slaves, slaves is an exception and shunai is not Kona, so you give the slave back. Okay, so, that, so, so the Gemara says that seems to answer our question. Let's take a look. So it says, V'ilu behema, the suggestion by Rebbe Meir is that when it were to come to the actual anim, animal and not the slave, V'ilu uh, behema that actually you would be koneh. You can't say Horatio reshol here's yours, take it back. No, you are koneh. And you would pay like when you stole it. So you see that Rebbe Meir holds, shinoi ko, is koneh. Um the isaga daiteru seberu be mero shinu bin kama o made and if rebi mae were to hold that shinoy stays in its place and isn't konap uh should become uh i'm sorry i just lost my place oh shin become o made a feel the behima nami so then you should be able to say by the behima as well i should khalfa na take it back but you can't so he says, It must be Rebbe Meir holds that Shinoi is Kona, and therefore by the when you steal the animal and it gets old, you now own the animal and you have to pay for, for its original value. But the slave is different because that's like land, and you give the slave back. But fundamentally Shunui is Kona, the Hachan, in our case, about shearing it and giving birth, um, uh, the fact, the reason that you have to give the shearings and the calf back is just a monetary fine, but fundamentally you should be kona. Amri, um, no, so that seemed to be a good proof, but the says, not necessarily, not so fast. Um, Rabbi Meir might just be responding to the rabbis over there with the slave and the, uh, and the animal that got old, within the within the rabbi's own position Lididi, as far as i rabbi mayer am concerned shinu no kone Shinui is not kone at all The nami nami and i would say you can even say behema. okay my position is shinu ain't kone you give you give them both back but according to you that you do hold shinu is kone shinu you say shinu is kone at least you should concede that the la- that the slave you can give back and say because slave is like land and it's not acquired through through gzela and therefore you never own it and therefore even if it gets old you can give it back so shouldn't you at least concede the case of a slave. Okay, the and the rabbis would say back to him, Lo avda dami, dami. No, we don't agree. We think slaves are like cattle, which is a whole major debate. Okay, so even though it's true that Rabbi Meir's stated position there, distinguishing between the slave and the animal, make it clear that the animal he's saying she knew is konat, The Kumar is saying he might not be sa- that. Might not be his own position. He might be sort of arguing that within the, the position of the Chachamim. All right, Toshma, let's try again to prove which way Rebbe Meir holds. let you give wool to a dyer um, to dye it um, red and, they go, and he makes a mistake and dyes it black. Shachor or the reverse. Maybe omer no lo de simro. You go ahead and you the dyer you keep the, uh, the wool you're cone of the wool with the shinoi because you, now you made it something different it's red or black you know, and different than it was originally and different from what the owner wanted. So you're a it with the shinoi and you pay him for the wool Okay, so that seems pretty clear. The Gemara says, "Demayt simro, demayt simro in. Yes, you pay him for the value of the wool. Demayt simro you don't pay him for the wool. And now it's improved value with the red dye. It's not only the value. Meaning, if chinoy was ainokone, you should be giving back the wool with the dye." Maybe if he refuses it because he wanted it a different color, you keep it and you pay him, and you pay him its value. But either way, if it's fundamentally Shinriya no the owner should now also have owned the increase, but that's not what you're paying him. Now, if Rabbi were to hold that is not kone, you should now have to give him back. So he now owns the wool, which is with the additional value of the red dye. You're not Kona it. He was Kona it, even though you made a mistake. So you see. So why, so you so that's what you should be saying. He should get the wool, the dyed wool back. If Shinu is not Kona Elalav the only way to understand this is Kasava Rebbe Meir Shinoikona. Rebbe Meir holds Shinoikona, so you were Kona the Wool, okay, and you, and, you know, and you improved it, you're Kona the Wool, and you pay him back the cost of the Wool. The Hakha, and in the case of the shearings, Knasahudaka mina. No, it's only a fine. It, you know, the reason you give back the shearings or the calf is because of a fine because you're a goslin. And implicitly, why would you not pay him for the improvement in the case of the wool? Because since it's only a fine, then it's only if you like are a willful goslin. If you're just a, crafts, a, a tradesman and you made an honest mistake and you did black instead of red, or even a negligent mistake, that's not a reason to fine you. So fundamentally, you're kona and you pay him for the wool, whereas in the goslin, fundamentally you're kona, but because you're a goslin, you pay him back the shearings and the calf. Okay. Shmami no, the Gemara says, you're right, that is actually a good proof. Okay. Ike Amri. that's one version of the question we had in Rebbe Meir. Does he hold shinoi kona and knas, or does he hold shinoi eno kona? others say, halloi that was never our question. Midafik rav Since Rav reversed the that we quoted earlier about the slaves of the uh, and the slaves and the animal that got old, how did he teach that brayta? So you stole this cow or the uh, slaves and they got old. Rebbe Meir now is the one that is saying that you pay both of those kishas ha'gzela. Okay, you were kona them with a shinui and they got old and you pay them both kishas, as the time that they were stolen. The Chachamim, um, and it's the Chachamim who distinguish between the cow and the slave. By the slaves, you can say, you're not Kona them because slaves are like Karka. So if Rebbe Meir is saying, boat is the first one to speak, and he's the one to say both slaves and behemoth you get to keep because you're you know, the only way to explain it is you, you keep them and you pay for, not get to, whatever, you keep them and you pay for the original value. Because, um, the only way to explain that is because shi'noi is Kona. Okay, so that's what the Gemara says. Uh, so in that version, So certainly the only way to explain for Rabbi Meir why you are stuck with the old cow and the old slaves um, is because of Shinoi Kona. If Shinoi wasn't Kona, you could say, and give them both back. So according to the way that Rav has Rebbe Meir teaching that you're stuck with the old cow and the old slave, there's no question that Rebbe Meir holds Shinoi Kona. But yet, there's still another version of the quest, of a question we had within Rebbe Meir's position of the knas. Okay, so Rebbe Meir holds kone, bah, a knas'u, to koh, and by the shearings and the calf, the reason you had to give it back is because of a fine, because you're a, g- a goslin. And and what was our question about Rebbe Meir? Haki um, this was our question. Kika when Rebbe Meir made his fine, did he make it only in somebody that was a willful goslin? That you can't keep what the the, the increase that you got because of Shinoi, even though you should be Conan, you have to give it back. Aval Bishoge in the case where somebody was a non-intentional goslin, you know, then you would not, we would not make this fine. And you might be remembering that was the case a minute ago about the dying of the wool, okay? And that Rebbe Mayer did not make a fine there. He said, you keep the wool and you pay for the wool. You don't give back the increased value. So that's how we're going to end up, okay? But that was, so if you, were, if you were remembering what we said before, you already know the answer. But this is the question. We know that Rebbe Mayer giving back the shearings and the calf is a type of a fine. Is it only for case of somebody who's a willful goslin? Odilma, um, um, or do we say, that Repi Meir says, I don't want to start making distinctions where you intentional or not intentional. We're going to make a fine across the board any time it wasn't yours. You don't get to keep the improvement through a shinoi. Okay, but it's fundamentally a fine. So does he apply it to Shogig as well? Tashma, um, come in here. There are five types of people that money is owed to them that they can only collect from unencumbered property, not property with liens. Meaning, if, you, if, if Ruben owes me $1,000, um, I can go knock on Muvine's door and um, demand that he pays me from you know money in his bank account, any any pro, any stuff he's got in his house, you know anything that he owns that's you know that's 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 unencumbered property, okay? Um, that's what's called mechurarin, okay? So um, like like bnei chorin free. Um, as opposed to property with liens. What's a property with a lien? That's real estate. And not and real estate, not that he owns, but that he has sold. So after Ruven borrowed $1,000 from me, any real estate that he... I have a lien on all of his real estate. And if he sells property then I can go, if he, I can't collect my $1,000 from Ruvain directly, I can go to Shimin who bought his prop, Ruvain's property after Ruvain borrowed the money from me and after I got my lien on his property, now Shimin has bought it and now I can go ahead and I can collect from that property because of my lien. And the reason for real estate is because, you know, you can't hide away real estate and that allows people to lend money because they know that they will always have that property, will always be there, and if they have liens, they'll always be able to collect. So that's the principle of, you know, the difference between unencumbered, you know, and mishubadim. Now, um, so, but there are five people who you are not allowed to collect. There are no liens, that they're owed money, but they don't have liens, and they can only collect from unencumbered property. Who are they? Let's take a look. Um, um, so, the Peros U Schwach Peros? So those are the two we're going to look at. What's the case of Peros and Shvach Peros? Reuven, you know, uh, well, let's say like this. Uh, um, Shimon steals Reuven's uh, property, real estate. You know, he claims it's his. We're calling him a goslin, but often there's a whole question of who really has title. People maybe, you know, but uh, are, are willfully stealing it or they honestly think they have title, but that's what it's going to turn out to be. That Shimon has now claiming that the, is trying to steal Reuven's property and he's claiming it's his. And then he goes ahead and Shimon sells it to Levy. Levi, and he says to Levi when he sells him the property, if anybody takes this property from you, you know, claiming that I didn't have a right to sell it to you, I will promise to make it up to you, to make it good, okay? That he accepts, he accepts like like insurance to reimburse uh, uh, Levi if the property is ever seized uh, because it did not rightfully belong to Shimon. And then lo and behold, Ruvain comes and Ruvain you know, proves in court that that property was his and he takes it from Levy. Levy now goes back to Shimon and says, give me back the money that, you, you know, that I paid you for that property. So when he's trying to collect the principle of the money that he paid for the property, that he can collect from liens on, you know, on Shimon's property. And if Shimon sold it elsewhere, he can collect it. That's a fixed amount. He spent $100,000 on the property. He has $100, a $100,000 lien. And therefore, when, Shimin, when Levy bought it from Shimon, and therefore he can go collect it from, from even if Shimon sells his other real estate. However, let's say Levy went ahead and he, he, what he purchased was an apple orchard. And he went ahead and he's now been harvesting the apples for the last 10 years, okay? And, um, and um, you know, and, and now when, uh, uh, you know, when uh, 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 Ruvane comes to collect his property back and take his property back, he says, by the way, not only was that my property, all of those apples that you've been harvesting and selling, that was produced by my property. You got to pay me back for that. So he demands, fra- that's called payrus. So he demands all that payers back from Levy. okay? Levi now goes to Shimon to make good, okay? But that, where Levy is now trying to get compensated from Shimon, Shimon who sold him this stolen property, okay, that's payrolls. Um, in that case, he can only collect from Shimon's unencumbered property. Why? Because there's no fixed amount. And that's the general principle here. You don't know how much the payrolls are going to be. Are the payrolls going to be $1,000, a $1,000,000? How many years of payroll? How successful is it going to be? So liens, it's not fair to the people that purchase Shimon's property to have a lien where you do not know the, how, how big or small the lien is. So the principal of the land, $100,000, that he has liens. If he has to get compensated for the payrolls that he took from the land, okay, because it's not de- able to determine how big or small that will be, he does not have any liens based on those payrolls. What's Schwach payrolls? Schwach payrolls is, let's say he didn't actually... Heart, you know, uh, you know, get the actual apples, but he now has made, you know, principal improvements in the land itself. He's put in a lot of manure and he's planted trees and he's done a lot of things. He's improved the property, but he hasn't yet like reaped the benefits. But he's put in a lot of money to improve the property, and now when you know when um, uh, Reuven comes to seize it back, it's not worth a hundred thousand dollars. It's worth two hundred thousand. So you know, let's say 150,000 for, for for illustration purposes. So the first 100,000 he has liens for Ruvain, for, for Shimon, and he can collect from Shimon's uh, encumbered property. The next 50,000 though, that's Schwach payros, And because again, we don't know, was the improvement gonna be 50, five, zero, so therefore, there are no liens for the shvach peros, for the improvements he made, and when Levi comes to collect that from Shimon, he can only collect it from Shimon's unencumbered property. Okay, that was a very big explanation, but that's what we're going to focus on. Okay, peros is shvach peros, so those things which don't have a fixed value, they can, there's no liens for them. ubat ishto, Let's say, um, you know, somebody marries a woman, and maybe he has kids from another wife or whatever, and he says, the, the wife, so this woman says, I will only agree to marry you if you make, take, accept upon yourself a financial obligation that after I die, you are going to continue to make sure, you know, that my daughter, my son are provided for from the estate, Okay, because they don't inherit her. Her money goes to the husband. Okay, so he accepts that responsibility. But because that's a non-fixed amount, you know, now they're going to get supported from the estate for one year, for 20 years, you know, until they get married. Who knows how much? There are no liens on that. So the son and the daughter have a right to collect from from the husband. Okay, but only from unencumbered property. Okay, groch Now let's adjust a normal debt that you did not write in the document that there is a lien, so you left it out of the document, so then there's no liens. Fixus hischeinbargkreis or if you did or iksuva, which is a type of a debt document that you did not write in the dark document itself that there are liens. Anyway, those are the things that you can only collect from unencumbered property. Now, how is this relevant to us? Man the Amar who Rebbe Mayer. So the fact that it assumes that a document without a lien written in it, therefore it means that you do not have a lien. That's actually debated in the Gemara. There's a position that says, the writing of in the document itself, that you have liens, if that gets left out, that's just a mistake of the scribes. Anybody who lends money and who bothers to write a document to prove it and to document it, we assume that there are liens and the person wanted liens on the, on the, on the property. So even if it's not in the star, it's not in the writ, nevertheless, there's always liens. That's the position of Achrayist Toh Sofer. We know this Mishnah shows, that you know, or B'rith or whatever, that, um, that, uh, that we don't say that. That if there are not liens in the document, you don't have liens. That is the position we know, that's the position of Achrayist Lav Toh Sofer. The leaving it off is not a mistake. It's intentional and you don't have liens. And we know that that is Rebbe Mayer's position. So we know that this whole teaching about the things that have to be from unencumbered is all Rebbe Mayer. Okay, now where is this going to get us, um, Rebbe Meir Vikhtani Peresu shvach Peros. So it teaches us that the case of Peres and Shvach Peros, the case I gave of Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, right? Um, that those are cases that you can collect but unencumbered. So now we're going to spell out the case. Hey Dami, what's the case? Now you'll be grateful that I, I illustrated it before. He goes, Shimon stole from Reuven a field, and he now sold it to Levi. And Levi went ahead, and Levi made capital improvements. Okay, that's going to be shvach And now Reuven proves it's his field. Reuven takes it back from Levi. that? Now Levi is going to come because you know because Shimon basically insured it. Shimon said, "I will. I accept a responsibility if it's taken from you." So now. Levi is gonna to go to get to get his principal hundred thousand and his Schwach Peros, his capital improvements fifty thousand. He's gonna get that to be reimbursed from is gonna to go to get that to be reimbursed from Shimon. Okay, Kashu Shubadim. He's going to collect his principal, 100,000 from Shimon from encumbered property. That was a fixed amount at the time of the sale, and therefore those are classic liens. The Esa Shvach, and the 50,000 capital improvements, since it was not known how much that would be, that levy collects from Shimon from unencumbered property. Now, Okay, that's the description, that's what it talks about, that's the scenario, but relevant for us is that, is that is that Reuven was able to take back the land with its capital improvements from um, Levy. And here's the thing, similar to the case of shearing a sheep, okay, where, you know, there, the original owner took the sheep and the shearings back, according to Rebbe Meir, that was the Knaas. So here, the original owner, Reuven, takes the land back and the improvements okay, doesn't compensate Levy for the improvements, just takes the land and the improvements without anything being compensated to Levy. And Levy has to make try to make it good with Shimon. So that's an example of Levy here was an honest guy. He didn't know that it was stolen. He didn't know, you know, he wasn't intentionally stealing. And nevertheless, for Rebbe Mayer, you know, Reuven has a right to take the improvements. So you see, without any compensation, so you see that, um, that Rebbe Meir's knas applies even in a case of shogun. That was pretty complicated to prove that, but that's the proof, okay? So let's take a look. Um, now, my love, are we not talking about? but Oretz, that Levi is ignorant of the law. So, he didn't know whether land halachically could be stolen or not. Now, why is that relevant? Because, well, we'll see, but basically it means he just assumed maybe he knew that that Shimon stole the land, but he assumed that the halacha was that the land was like other stuff and if he was going to buy it from Shimon, then he was going to become a full owner of the land, right? It's like Yehush and Shina Reshus or something of that nature, so even, we're assuming he knew the land was stolen, which, I don't know why, we're assuming that, okay? But nevertheless, he could be innocent. He could think that by the time he buys it from Shimon, he totally owns it. Yesh and Shinur let's call it that. He didn't know the principle that Karka ain't an So he thought he had total rights to it, okay? And even though he was not willfully stealing from from Reuven, Kasi Bal Karkum Shakalavishvache. Ruven comes and takes his land back with the improvements and doesn't reimburse Levi. So you see that even though Levi here was an innocent Shogig party, Rabbi Meir's knas of giving back the benefits, you know, of giving back the improvements applies even to a case of shogeg. Veshmamina, but shogig nami and you see that even in a case of shogeg, Rabbi Meir's knas applies. Mary says, no, no, you don't have to say that was the scenario. But We can assume that Levi maybe knows the law. And Levi should have known that even after that, that Karka is not stolen, and even with Yeish or whatever, that he, if he's using this land that is still Reuven's land, that he doesn't have a right to it. It was still Reuven's, Karka is not stolen. So Levi is not such an innocent party. Okay, now before, and therefore, that's why it's a case of Maizid, and that's why you have to give back the benefit. Now, before we go on, I want to pause and make two points. Number one is, um, you know, the other thing that the Gemara is assuming here is that Levi knew it was stolen, okay? And then the only question is, does he know the law of whether he has rights to keep it or not, He think, or, you know, because of the principle of Karkar Nigzelis or not Nikselis. So I don't know why the Gemara assumed that, you know, that, that clear, because it's Gzela, not Geneva or something. But okay, that's what it's assuming. More significant is the question about, wait, why is this relevant? The reason Rebbe, you needed Rebbe Mayer's knas was because Shinoi was koneh. And fundamentally, the Gazan was entitled to the shearings in that case. And then he had to make a knas and he had to give it back. But here, Karker's not an so it's not a knas. Of course, you know, she, uh, 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 Levy is not entitled to the benefits. There's no shinoi. Karka is not an exiles. I mean, shinoi is irrelevant. And of course, you know, Reuven gets it back. So why are we talking about a knas? So Rivet asked this question, and Rivet basically says, no, because even if there's no shinoi and Karka is not an or whatever... The fact still is Levy made capital improvements into Uvain's property. And if I go onto your property and I make capital improvements, let's say they're ones that you would want, you know, even though I had absolutely no right to do it, you have to pay me a certain amount for my labor. Okay, that's a halakh. Yore latoxtecha So and here Reuven is paying nothing to Levi, even for his labor of making the improvements. So the Rabbis says that's the proof, right? It's not a case of shein or not. But if Rebbe, why is Reuven not at least paying Levi something for Levi's labor in making those improvements? And if he's not, it must be a knas. So you see that Rebbe Mayer's knas applies even by shogeg. And the Gemara says, no. Who says Levi was so innocent, and that's why the knas applies? Okay, and now finally we wrap this up based on the easier case of what we had before. Tashma Shema coming here. We You gave it to the uh, dyer to make it black and he made it red or red and black. Rabbi Meir Omer no sin lo You go ahead and you pay, you know, you, the dyer, keep the wool and you pay him for the wool because shinoy is Konya. The maid simro in, you pay him for the wool. The maid simro vishvachelo, you don't actually give him the improvement. You don't give him back the wool. And it's not similar to the case of giving him back the shearings. So, why is it different? In both cases, you improve the guy's property. Um, so the Gemara says, And if Rabbi Meir's Kanas applies even to a case of Shogig, and this is a great case of Shogig, you didn't want to steal it, you just accidentally died at the wrong thing. So why not give back the wool with the dye, if Rabbi Meir's Kanas applies in a case of shogeg? Shogig? You see that Rabbi Meir's Kanas applies only in a case of mazid, not in a case of Shogig. Shema minah, and that is a good proof. Okay, we will end here.